Good morning, church. I am um, just to honor the moms here this morning. I want to honor my wife. She's home with two sick kids, and my boy has been practicing sharing his caring with me, and so my voice is is uh, is touch and go, but perhaps for good reason this morning, because I was thinking about Paul's words: "I can do all things through Christ." Through Christ who strengthens me, and maybe God just has a special portion of Jesus this morning for you here this morning. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, won't you open up to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 12. And uh, we are reaching one of the, the highest points of this beautiful book. I mean, <laughs> what Paul says in verse 21 is perhaps the greatest thing a, a, a mortal could ever say, and know it's true. But uh, let's, let's read from verse 12 together. I've entitled this sermon this morning, For Me to Live is Christ. This is Paul writing from a prison cell in Rome to the Philippians. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here it is. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to remind us again this morning that Paul is a model of a man finishing well. And we come to this verse this morning, which is really one of the high watermarks of Philippians. I mean, these are perhaps the most profound words anybody could say and mean it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say that. I think for many of us, we want that. But when Paul said it, he knew he meant it. And that's the profound part. And the Philippians, listening to these words, remember he was the first man on planet Earth ever to say these words that we know of they would have said he's right. They would have confirmed it. And friends, there, there are many things we could say life is about these days. And I, I wonder what you would say yours is. What would you say your life is about? Some of us might say, for me to live is my family. Maybe some of us will say, for me to live is my money. And maybe it's my pleasure or the next holiday. Maybe it's my work. Maybe it is my marriage. Maybe it's my friends. Maybe 
It's my ministry. Maybe it's even my church. But you know what life was for Paul? It was simply Jesus. And this means that for Paul, in his daily experience, Jesus was the one he thought about during the day. Jesus was the one he sang about. Jesus was the one he talked to. Jesus had his heart. Jesus had his love and his longings. Jesus was his delight. And Jesus' presence and hearing the whispering of Christ's little well dance for Paul was the most thrilling thing on planet Earth. Life's joy and meaning to Paul simply was Jesus. And what a, what a call to you and me today, church. I mean, this statement isn't just for Paul, it's for us. Paul isn't some special apostle, I'll, I'll, I'll land it that way, where he gets special privileges that, that, that in terms of, the, of knowing Christ, we don't get. No, no, friends, today we can know Jesus in this way. And Paul's heart in saying this is saying, every Christian can say, by the grace of God, for me to live is Christ. And uh, you must remember this morning that God is no respecter of persons. And the way for you to experience what Paul did in his heart is open through the body and blood of Christ. You have entered into the same salvation. And uh, if you can say this statement one day and know you mean it, it will be the greatest achievement of your life. You cannot go higher than this. And you know what I love about the atmosphere of this statement where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, is he's not struggling. This isn't Paul going, for me to live is Christ. You know, we, we know what that's like. I've been there, done that. I still struggle with it, right? But as I read this, Paul is not struggling with introspection. You know, some of us, like myself, we tend to love our belly button so much, right? You know, Paul has a way of, of forgetting the details and seeing the Savior that rules over all of them. And, and Paul is not even beating himself up to get there. I mean, he, what you call it, he's not a ascetic or ascetic. He's not beating himself verbally. He's a man, yes, determined, we saw last week, to honor Jesus, he doesn't want a guilty conscience in anything. He doesn't want to be ashamed of the gospel. He's willing to offer up his body even unto death for the sake of Christ. But the thing that I love about Paul is he is delighting in Jesus here. And, and that intrigues me because I've, I don't know about you, but I've tried to get to say this in different ways in my life. I've tried to get there through guilt I've tried to get there through fear. I've tried to get there through to even sweat. But I'm realizing what Paul has experienced here is off the back of something beautiful in the gospel that you and I can experience every day if we will come to Christ in the way Paul does. And so I'm interested to say, well, how did Paul get to this place of saying, for me to live is Christ and to mean it? And if we can discover how Paul got there, well, then maybe you and I can get there too. 
I tell you what, I can't say it yet, but I want to. And so let's look at Paul's life today together. How did this man get to this place where life simply to him was Jesus? Well, the first is, Paul never got over the wonder that God had saved him. He never got over the wonder that God had saved him. Can we just push pause there for a moment, church? Do you remember what Paul was like before he met Jesus? Can you remember what he was like? He was a scabanger. Yeah. By the way, is that a crossover word? I don't think so. I, 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 I've discovered it in PE. My headmaster used to call us all scabangers from the, from the, the, the at assemblies. You scabangers. <laughs> but you know how Paul describes his life in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13? It's profound. He says this. Formerly, I was a blasphemer. That means he cursed Christ. He hated Jesus. He, he was a persecutor. He, he killed Christians. Did you know that? And he was an insolent opponent. That means he was rude and arrogant. When Christians would come and talk about their faith, he was the one in public saying, you idiots. But look at what Paul says. But I received mercy. I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who, believe, who were to believe in him for eternal life. And this is the response to Paul's salvation, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, Paul was floored by the kindness of God to him. He just couldn't get over that God would love him in Jesus Christ, knowing his past, knowing what he was like. And when he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, you must remember he's writing with his personal experience in the back of his mind. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, I mean, just think about Paul's trespasses for a moment. <laughs> even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He knew it. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul never got over the fact that God saved him. Paul never got over the fact that God forgave him after what he did. And it's interesting that Cheryl shared um, about the lady with the alabaster jar because she's the example I want to read to you this morning. You see, what happened to Paul is what happened to the woman with that expensive jar of perfume. And it's from Luke 7, verse 37. And she teaches us something very important this morning, which is true of the life of Paul. I'll read it to you. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table, that's Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, 
she brought an alabaster flask of ointments. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointments. And then the Pharisee who's hosting gets really offended by this woman because a sinner was somebody that wasn't allowed in the synagogue because she was immoral. She was, Jesus was being touched by a sinner. It was, was a great offense to this Pharisee. And so he, he gives a parable. And here it is. And I'm going to read from this, the contemporary English version because it brings home the truth so well. In verse 41, it says, Jesus told this Pharisee, listen carefully here, church. Two people were in debt to a moneylender. One of them owed him 500 silver coins, and the other owed him 50. Since neither of them could pay him back, the moneylender said that they didn't have to pay him anything. Which one of them will like him more? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one who had owed more and didn't have to pay it back. You're right, Jesus said. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, have you noticed this woman? When I came into your home, you didn't give me any water so I could wash my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even pour olive oil on my head, but she has poured expensive perfume on my feet. And here it is. So I tell you that all her sins are forgiven, and that is why she has shown great love. But anyone who has been forgiven for only a little will show only a little love. Do you know why Paul loved Jesus so much? Was whenever he thought about his life before knowing Christ, he thought, wow, how could God forgive me so much? And because he felt the glory of God's kindness and love in Jesus Christ, he just couldn't stop loving this Jesus. He could not believe that this Jesus would come for him and call him his own. Can I ask you a question which I've asked myself this week, church? Have you lost the wonder of what it means to be totally forgiven by a Savior? and not deserve this a stitch of it. You know, I grew up a, a, in a Christian home. My father was a headmaster. I knew how to toe the line well. And, you know, I always felt intimidated because we had people who would come and stand up at church and, 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 and have these testimonies of saying, you know, I was a drug addict and God rescued me. And then you have this other person, God rescued me from alcoholism. And, you know, this person saying, you know, God rescued me. I was an adulterer, and, and God forgave me, and he's restored my marriage, and I was a swindler. There were these people who would have these massive testimonies. And my testimony was I was brought up in a home where God's Bible was taught to me every day, and goodness me, I knew what was right from wrong. And so I didn't even have a chance, by the grace of God, <laughs> To so wild oats, my mother and father were sure that before I could say boo or man, they wanted me to know Jesus. Anybody have a testimony like that? You must thank the Lord for that, because in hindsight, he was very gracious to you. But you know what hit me this week? And I just had to say to the Lord, you know, we have this habit of, of, of 
considering there, there being tears of salvation dished out from the, the, the grace of uh, the, the God's throne of grace. You know, it hit me. Do you, the cost for your salvation was the same as Paul's. Just think about that for a moment. The consequences of your sin were the same as Paul's. And, and the way that you measure how much something costs is the price paid, right? And for us to stop for a moment and to just take in the wonder of God moving towards us as people who did not want it, we did not deserve it, we didn't even know where to ask or to find it, but he came through someone faithful in our lives, some moment, and for Paul it was deeply personal, Christ himself hit him. And friends, it was the same. There was a day, doesn't matter how it happened, where Christ hit your heart and he showed you his mercy and you were never the same again. And I just want to ask you today, have you lost the wonder of God's kindness to you that you're his? Because the one who realizes how much he has been forgiven is the one who opens his heart to really love. And I just want to invite you this morning. I, I don't know where you're from. Maybe you're here by accident. Maybe you're here for whatever reason. I want to say to you, you know this Jesus, he is the most incredible Savior because he loves to save people who don't deserve it, and you're looking at one right here. And he loves to go after people who are rebellious, who are stiff-necked, who think they know better and love to live their life their own way. You're looking at one right here. And there is mercy for you today. Perhaps today God has drawn you to this place for this moment to come and meet this incredible Jesus. He doesn't matter where you've been. He doesn't matter what your history is. What matters is what you think and how you respond to him today. And I want to invite you to a Savior who is merciful, kind, and willing to forgive, to wash clean and to forget your whole past if you will come to him. And that's why Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, Paul kept the mercy of God he received in Jesus Christ at the forefront of his mind. It was off the back of what he had received in Christ because he had been forgiven so much. He had received so, mercy, so much mercy. For him to live was Christ because he could say, I love you, Lord. I love you so much for what you did for me. In view of God's mercy, Paul could offer up his body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Can I invite you to the oasis of God's love for you in Jesus this morning? Stop working for a moment and come back to the place of what Christ has done for you and see the joy of what it means to be enveloped in him, to be cleansed in him, to be loved by him, to be called his own through him. This is the joy of what it means to be a Christian and might we never forget it. And the second point is not only did Paul never get over the fact that God would save him. Paul never, never forgot <clears throat> who Jesus was because Paul truly saw who Jesus is. Do you remember on the road to Damascus? Who did he see? Who struck him off that donkey and, and, and made him lose his sight? Anybody can tell me? It was? It was? Jesus. One commentator said, 
seeing Jesus like that has a predictable outcome. And I agree. Do you know why Paul was never the same after that day of seeing Jesus? It was not just the mercy he received in Christ, but in that moment, Paul saw what Jesus Christ was really worth. He saw Christ's worth. And when he saw the worth of Jesus, everything he had aspired to in his life and thought was so important became like dung. Philippians tells us in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I mean, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, this guy had a lineage par excellence. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteous under the law, blameless. But this is it. This is it. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Why? He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Can we all say worth? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Friends, what God did on that day of Paul's salvation was to reveal to Paul the worth of Jesus. And when he could see the worth of Jesus, he could say, man, when I see that this eternal son of God, not only what he's done for me, what it feels like to be in his presence, what it feels like to, to see his glory, what it feels like to walk with him and talk with him by the Spirit, what it feels like to hear his well done, what it feels like to know he's the one that I'm going to see. When I start to see the glory of this eternal Son of God given to me in the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, I start to see everything else in a different perspective. Why could Paul say for, to me to live is Christ and to die is going to be? Because to Paul... Jesus was the most valuable and precious gift he had ever received. The worth of Christ far outweighed anything that this life could put on the table before Paul. And Paul saw it clearly the day he saw Christ clearly. Do you know the reason why Christians here, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, the reason why you did was you saw Jesus in a moment. You caught a glimpse of him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. It's talking to Christians. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The day Christ met you by the Spirit was the first day you got to see him for who he is. That's why you came to faith. You saw his worth. You saw it was an offer through himself, and you grabbed hold of it. And friends, can I say to you today, the highest prayer you can pray in your life is to ask Jesus to know him more. You know, I've been thinking about this. When God asked Moses, what can I do for you? What do you want? What was the thing that Moses prayed? He said, Lord, show me your glory. And you know, I pray Ephesians 3 for you often. But for the first time I've clicked while Paul prays it. And friends, we must pray this every day as often as the Spirit can remind us. In Ephesians 3 verse 14 to 19, Paul says this to these Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Here it is. What is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, the reason why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is because he could see the beauty and value of Jesus. And that's why Jesus became Paul's ambition more than anything else. I'll land on just a few more thoughts. If this is going to be true of your life, remember you have one life to live. If you, if you wanted to get to this place before the Lord, where you can say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You're going to have to make a few decisions in your life. My third point is, Paul was not controlled by consensus. Do you notice his wording? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He doesn't say, for to us. He doesn't, say to the, he doesn't assume these Philippians are here. He doesn't assume the Romans uh, uh, Christians are there. He says, this is for me. This is my decision in my life. For to me, to live is Christ. And friends, unless you make the decision yourself to know this Jesus and go after him, no one else can make it for you. And this is what the devil loves to do. He loves to make you look at everybody else and look at their level of desire for Jesus and to say, you're okay. The consensus Man is generally satisfied with so little. And friends, I want to say to you today, if there's anybody here who wants to do this, who wants to live this way for Jesus, who wants to grow, it is for you. It is for you. But you have to make a decision yourself. This is for me. And you have to say, nobody else is going to become my benchmark. I, I don't want to look to this person or that person. I want Christ for me. For me. And people might look at you a bit funny, I promise you. That's what they did to this woman with the alabaster jar, right? <laughs> this woman's crazy. But for her, the worth of Christ matched the cost and actually exceeded it. And friends, you must decide today, this is going to be me. And all of heaven will back you, but you have to do it yourself and say, my wife, my kids, this, they are not my model. I want to go for Jesus. And, and if you do that, I want to just say, Jesus will do, do a few things in your life. Maybe he's doing it already, and I want to nudge you and encourage you today. If you want to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, you're going to have to be determined to follow Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus. That's my fourth point. Paul was determined to be obedient to Jesus. Jesus is going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you through his word. He's going to speak to you through people sharing scripture and words of knowledge here. He's going to speak to you through nudgings. He's going to speak to you in your life about what he wants you to do. And friends, if you are wanting to have more of Christ and be able to say, for me to live and to die is gain, you must do it. When Paul was struck off that donkey, he was given a commission by Christ to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. And his whole life was taken up with God's leadership, with Christ's leadership over his life. And, and friends, Paul was gripped 
by what Christ wanted. Do you know what I'm discovering in my life? Is the more you yield to Jesus, the happier you become. The more of Christ you get. And, and, and James says, you're going to receive an implanted word. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he says to the Christian, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says, don't worry about this stuff that doesn't pass. Receive with meekness the implanted word. God's going to plant a word. He's going to speak to you. And it's able to save your souls. What does it mean? It's able to keep you on course with Christ. And if God is prompting you, church, if he's speaking to you repeatedly, maybe it's, 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 it can be the most simple thing. Do it. Do it. You know what the promise to you in Matthew 13, verse 12 is? Jesus said this, For to the one who has, more will be given. In other words, the one who has and applies it, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. An abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I, I urge you this morning, do what Jesus tells you to do. It will give you more of him. And my, my first point is, is Paul saw suffering as an opportunity to know Jesus more. You know, this is profound for me this morning. Who would agree this is a season of suffering in South Africa? Can we just put up our hands? I'm so grateful we have people that are linked to reality, right? Because we also know God's in that reality. You know what excites me in this season? And maybe this is, the one who, who, who has experienced this knows what I mean. And, and the one who's still needing to experience it, hold out for it. But I have come to a conclusion in my life that, that whenever there's a trial that God allows to come into your life sovereignly, there is a measure of Jesus attached to it. You know what I mean? What are some of the best ways you've gotten to know God? Is through need, right? I have come to the place in my life, slowly but surely, and not always willingly, that suffering is a package deal, church. Do you want more of Christ? He's going to come wrapped up in a trial. And you know, for Paul, he's not struggling in Rome. Do you know why? Because he's, guys, I know on every side I'm under pressure. But do you know who's standing with me? It's Jesus. Do you know who I get to experience daily strengthening me? is Jesus. And, and when he writes at the end of, the, of, of, of Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, friends. That is not an abstract experience. That is need in Paul driving him to a Savior who supplies. And friends, if you're wanting to know Christ, then friends, accept his training. If you're wanting more of Jesus, accept him as a package deal. If you're stuck in some corner and you can't get out, friends, you will experience Christ in your corner if you are willing to stand with him and seek him. Say, Lord, I am not going to try and do this myself. I'm not going to run to my flesh. I'm running to you. You're the one who promises to supply all my needs. And friends, as you come to Christ, there is a way that he supplies, not just what you need, but a greater measure of himself. And I want to nudge you this morning. Would you reframe what is in front of you this week? And will you say to yourself, Lord, where I see need, 
It's an opportunity to know you. Paul could say this, Philippians 4, verse 12 to 13. I know how to be brought low. Do you? I know how to abound. Do you? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The only way you get to know Christ's strengthening is if you really need it. And perhaps God is answering your prayer for more of him in this season by creating the gap of the need he needs to fill. But it's a package deal. It's a package deal. You get Christ as you come to him. And so I close today with my simple and final point. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. Do you know that? I'm stealing Tozer's words. He said you can have much of God as you want. But I'm stealing Paul's heart here. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. Paul could say, for to me to live is Christ. It can be you too. Maybe it's you already. And some of you are saying, but this is an apostle. How can, how, can, how can I match up? Clearly, he had an inside track. No, my friends, you know what Peter said to us this morning? In his last letter before he died, he said this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Isn't that incredible? You've received the same faith as the apostles. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I ask you today. Do you want to be able to say this? You can. Come back to the wonder of what Christ has done for you. Stay there. Pray to see him for who he is, not what you want. We refuse to be controlled by the status quo. Go further. Be determined to do what he tells you to do. And see areas in your life of suffering as an answer to prayer to know him more. You do that. You do that. Who knows where you'll go? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment to listen to the Lord. He's been speaking a lot today. I just sense that um, this is a call for anybody who wants to know Christ more. And if that's in your heart this morning, I'd love you to stand and I'd love to pray for you. If this, yeah, that's, that's what I sense the Lord saying. I want to pray for you this morning. No, I just sense the Lord wants to say to you that there is a great adventure ahead of you. But the picture I get is not one of an open plain. It's, it's one going through mountain passes and, 
and there are many sharp corners that you can't see around. And there are times where you feel like you're just going down, down, down into, into the, the gorge, and then up, up, up. And, and the problem with doing mountain passes is often you can feel you can't really see the bigger picture. But I just sense the Lord wants to say to you, if you want Christ and are after him, you're on track. That's your compass. That's your compass. That's your true north, is Jesus. And there's an adventure ahead of you. And, and you know what? I just get a sense at the end there's the campfire after the, the, the journey. And, and that's when you take out the cup of coffee and you tell the stories. I just sense the Lord is going to have great stories here of how you're going to see him work through you. And Lord, we want to respond to that today. You want to give us each a unique story of journeying with you here. Handpicked. No map is the same, but the compass is. And so, Lord, I just want to pray today that as these people have stood, I stand with them, Lord. I pray in our hearts in the weeks ahead, the greatest thing that we would think about and we would be ambitious for would be able to say, like Paul, for me to live is Christ. Is Christ. And to die is gain. I pray by your spirit you'd grant us that, that request, Lord. Increase your gracious work in us. I pray as, as we, we leave this place this morning, we would never be able to see our life in the same way again, that the lens of Christ would help us see the world around us entirely differently. Even need, Lord, I pray. Stirring us a hunger this morning. Stirring us a thirst. Stirring us an unbridled passion for Jesus, we pray, that will not settle for anything else. I pray this morning, Lord, that the mark of your people would be a hunger and thirst for Christ. Some of us have known it this morning for many years, but it's grown dim. Lord, I just pray, revive a hunger for Jesus in this place. To know him, even in his sufferings, we pray. Do this work. Thank you, you are doing it, Lord. Thank you, you started a good work in us. Thank you, you, you are bringing it to come. Even now, Lord, you are at work. Bless, we bless it, Lord. Increase it, we pray. In your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. I just have a sense today that somebody needs to come to Jesus. And if you wanted to come meet this Jesus, you're saying, man, I, I know him, but I don't really know him. Won't you come and talk to us? We would love to introduce this incredible Savior to you. So come and uh, let's chat. Thank you, everyone.